The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our throwback episode. In our throwback episodes, we are reintroducing you to some of our most popular episodes. This is great for new listeners who want to learn more about the work we've done in the past, and it's a great refresher if you've been a listener for a long time. Enjoy. Kate, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is our pleasure. I've been excited for this for a quite a bit now. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So I wrote a book called The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. And it's based on a lot of my own observations over the first couple decades of my career. So I I started out in the very male-dominated field of investment banking and worked in finance and mergers and acquisitions uh, first at Goldman Sachs and then moved over into the education industry and worked, worked my way up first doing deals and then taking on operating roles and ultimately became a CEO at the age of 39. I became CEO of the Princeton Review and uh, ran that, tutor.com. And now I'm currently in my CEO role at Presence Learning, which which does special education teletherapy for K-12 schools. So I looked back on my own experience working my way up and then running companies. And you know, throughout, gender has always been a factor for me and something where I've become very attuned to the, the workplace environment for women and you know where where it works well, where it you know puts up obstacles and you know more than anything, what what managers can do, what people with power can do to facilitate a better, better working experience for women. That's fantastic. Yes. So let's spend some time talking about the book and let's get deeper into the the motivation behind it, and then we can get into the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to write something. I started out writing a book for young women. And my thinking was, you know, when I became a senior leader, I started getting lots of lots of requests for mentoring from young women who were ambitious and talented and, you know, wanted wanted advice and guidance and help on how to get ahead. And I realized that for me, having female mentors had been really critical. I uh, you know, I went to work for a female CEO. She mentored me, designated me as her successor, and ultimately was you know a really important part of my career and really key in me getting my first CEO role. Uh, but I started thinking about the you know the numbers out there, and only five percent of Fortune 500 CEOs are women, and um, only a third of all managers are women. So there really aren't enough senior women to mentor all of the young women out there. So I I started out thinking, well, I'm going to write a book that, you know, can give advice for everyone who's, who's looking for that, that mentor and, and isn't finding them naturally in their own career. When I started doing that and started interviewing other women and asking them about their success and what had really made the difference for them, I came upon something. Um, Almost all of the answers were, you know, not about a strategy or a tactic that they used. It was, you know, I, I just had a really good boss. I worked for this really great person. This person really made the difference or gave me my big opportunity, you know, and so on. It was always about a good boss. And so that 
led me to reflect on my own career and say, you know what, that's really true. A boss has a huge impact for better or for worse on the experience of, of a woman or really anyone in, in their job and in their career. And so, you know, bosses should take responsibility. If there's, if there's a way to create a more equitable workforce and a more, more comfortable inviting work environment for women, it, it's going to come from the bosses. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about this book, too, because the fact that I think the assumption for people that don't do the their due diligence and investigate, they say, oh, this is a book for women. Right. Um, but your target audience is is different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my target audience is is managers. It's a manager of one person or, you know, a middle manager or a senior manager. You know, someone could be running an organization with thousands of individuals. And so it is really striking that there's there's this default assumption that, you know, women help women and um, that, you know, when you start talking about opportunities for women in the workplace, you're, you're talking to women as your audience, that it's really women's work, so to speak. And, um, you know, that's that that again, just looking at the, you know, the numbers of how many managers out there, two thirds of managers are men, you know, I, I recognized, well, that's not really who needs to hear this advice or who I think or who I think even really wants it. You know, a lot of the men that I talk to really want to engage and they want to be better managers and they want to be more supportive, but they don't always know how. They don't know what makes the difference. And so I wrote this book for, for all managers, but really with the male manager in mind to say, you know, hey, this there are authentic, accessible ways for you to engage in this and to have a real difference. Yeah, Kate, I, I really love this because I don't think enough books are approaching it in this way. In fact, I can't think of any book <laughs> that's really approaching it in this unique way. So it's a unique approach, and I'm glad that you're blazing the trail. And my hope is that it'll spark more thought leaders to, to do the same. And I think this is an opportunity as well for us to address negotiation as it relates to, to women in the workplace and our, our scandalous title of why the, why the negotiation advice out there for women is wrong. And I'd love to tie that point in with some of the rules from your book to, to demonstrate the, the challenges that exist out there. So let's just start from that, that premise. Why is the information out there about negotiating for women wrong? Well, I think that the the sort of classic negotiation advice out there is is for men. I think that you know men are the majority of managers. They're the you know they're the ones giving this advice, and I think that people people naturally it's a human tendency to when you give advice you tell people what worked for you, and what what works for men more often than not doesn't work for women. And there's some really you know interesting research and data out there about the the differences in what women encounter when they negotiate versus what men do so when when men negotiate salaries uh you know they're viewed to be you know wor words like ambitious aggressive you know sort of po with positive um, you know, thoughts attached to that. Whereas with women, you know, there's this organizational behavior study that found that just, just the, 
the introduction of a negotiation uh, by a woman into the conversation would trigger descriptions about her niceness versus her demandingness. So, you know, the words and associations that, that people attach to women just for asking or just for, you know, introducing negotiation as a topic are, are different. And so when you realize that it, it kind of makes sense that the classic advice out there that works for men is not necessarily going to work for women. Absolutely. And, and this is um, perfectly aligned with what I was talking to my last guest about Zabine Mirza. I'm not sure when the, uh, the episodes are going to launch, but hopefully they're close together uh, because you're, 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 you're approaching this from the same, same vantage point. And what we've recognized is that when you think about the, the classic negotiation advice that you, like you described, it's one approach. It's worked for them. That's one thing. And race and gender are very rarely addressed. Mm -hmm. Those two very critical elements of society and the way that we interact with each other in this multicultural world we're in, never addressed. And I think a lot of times it's because the people who are writing the book can't speak to that from their experience. So I think it's it's really important for us to say, yes, there's a, there's a lot of great negotiation content out there, but we have to filter it through the reality that it doesn't work the same way for everybody. Yep, exactly, exactly. And recognize that there's different experiences out there. So there have to be, we, we either have to change the way that we react to people in the negotiating context, or we need to, you know, reduce the number of situations where, where people are forced to negotiate for themselves. Um, and I, and I talk about both of those in my book. So one of the rules in my book is don't make her ask twice. And the, the premise behind that is that, you know, men are more comfortable, not only asking, but asking again, if, you know, if the answer is no, the first time they, they will come back and ask a second time or a third time and, you know, continue to, to self-advocate, to, to advocate for what it is that they want, whether that's a raise or a promotion or resources and, and so on, uh, women, are less likely to ask for things. So if you look at salary negotiation, three out of 10 women will ask for an increase when negotiating a salary versus slightly over half of all men. So women are less inclined to ask. And so there's a penalty if you, you know, set up situations where, you know, you force a woman to not only ask once, but twice, um, you know, how likely is it that she's going to feel like she can keep on pushing um, without getting that label that she's pushy. This is such a great point. And it's, it's something that I, I never I never thought about, but again, it, it makes so much sense. And when we chatted a couple of weeks ago, you told a, a really interesting story about how this actually manifests itself in the workplace. Can you share that with the listeners too? Yeah. So the, this story is from when I was I was far younger and earlier in my career, and I was having a lunch with a few executives from my company, including the CFO, and he shared with me a little tip. He said, "You know what I do." I never, I never approve any request the first time someone asks. I always make them ask twice. And, you know, I was sort of wide-eyed and I was like, well, well, why? And he's like, well, then I know they really want it. 
So, and I was like, so what do you mean? So you just ignore the first request. And he's like, well, yeah, if they ask me in person, I tell them I'll get back to you, but I don't, I, you know, I wait for them to follow up again. Or, um, you know, if they send me an email, I ignore it and, you know, see if they send it again. And that's how I know, you know, they, this, this money is, you know, worth considering spending because it was important enough to them to ask twice. So I, I took that, you know, with me as I went on in my career and, you know, however many years later, I was in a situation where I wanted to advocate for a raise for myself. And I had, you know, prepared and had all of my, you know, ideas and rationale and talking points laid out. And, you know, it was, it was not easy to, you know, initiate that conversation with my manager, but I did it, sat down with my boss and told him I, you know, I felt I deserved more, more money and went through the reasons. And, um, you know, he said, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll work on it. And then one week went by, two weeks went by and I thought like, well, maybe I'm supposed to ask twice. So I, you know, worked up the courage to go in again and ask him, you know, if, if he did, if he had any updates or any progress. And he, he got kind of angry with me. He was clearly frustrated and annoyed that I was, you know, bugging him about this. And he's like, well, you I mean, you asked for, you know, that was, that was not insignificant what you asked for. I mean, I can't, make that happen overnight. And, you know, it was just, I, yeah, I left the second conversation feeling like, okay, I, you know, I, I guess I wasn't supposed to keep asking and I definitely didn't feel like it would have been welcome to ask again. And that was actually a, a trigger point for me where I, I just started looking for another job and I left the company shortly after that. Hi, I'm Kevin Kanaki, and I'm the chief operating officer here at the American Negotiation Institute. Did you know our company offers completely customizable negotiation workshops? The negotiation and conflict resolution skills that your team will learn from these workshops are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram accounts to see our daily negotiation content. Thanks for listening. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Yeah, this is this is really interesting. There's so many layers in in this story that that we can explore. I think the first one is going back to the example of the the CFO, where he said, "Listen, I'm going to make people ask ask twice because to me that means that." this money is well spent, right? Mm -hmm. That's essentially the idea that he came came with. That's a hypothesis. That's uh, an assumption, but it's not necessarily true. We haven't tested that yet. 
right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of times our we're going to fill in our understanding with biases and things that we don't recognize are biases or um, misinterpret the data. And so what we could be seeing here, and based on what we've been discussing in this episode, what I believe we're seeing here is the recognition that oftentimes men are not going to be penalized for advocating for themselves. Women, on the other hand, will be penalized for advocating for themselves. And so we're not necessarily seeing a situation where the person who gets the money is going to be a better steward with the money. What we're seeing is that the person who is going to ask the second time recognizes that there are fewer social constraints or penalties for making that second request. And then the person who doesn't make the request is recognizing that there is a cost benefit analysis that needs to occur. There's a higher likelihood that I will be penalized for my self-advocacy in this situation, so it's not worth the risk. And the person is coming to a conclusion that is not based in reality. Exactly, because it doesn't recognize the the weight. How, how daunting was it to ask that question? I mean, many, many questions don't get asked because, because, you know, the person has internalized. I mean, you really, that the weight of that builds on you over, over years. If you've felt marginalized in the past, or if you felt penalized in the past for, for advocating for yourself, you're going to be, I think, more and more hesitant every time to, to ask. You're going to know there's a cost to asking, whereas um, for others, it's easy. Asking, you know, asking, you know, people say, you know, doesn't cost anything to ask, or if you don't ask, the answer is no. I mean, you know, some of those, those sayings and cliches out there, I think those are really for men. I think that, you know, it, there, it does cost something to ask for women. Absolutely. And this, this is so, this is really interesting to me because here I'm, I'm also looking at the, uh, the big note that we discussed a lot of times here where I say, do not ask what women can do about this. (laughs) And I know listeners are probably saying, Kwame, ask her that question. I want to be clear to the listeners, I am intentionally not asking that question because we had a discussion about this. And so why is it so important for us to focus on the, the managers and the culture that has been created in the corporate world versus addressing what women should do, using air quotes for the podcast listeners here, um, what women should do in these situations? It's a great question. Thank you for asking. Uh, I, yeah, we can't put, putting the burden on women to adapt. I mean, what, what, what is that advice? It's like, well, you know, you, you, you won't be rewarded if you don't ask, you should ask. It's you know, just telling them, just, just telling them to do more of the thing that they know, you know, has a cost to them in the current environment is not particularly helpful. It's, it, it's gotta be that person on the receiving end of the request who, as you said, is bringing their own context and their own bias in their interpretation of what's being asked for and how it's being asked for and whether it's you know worthy of consideration it's it's really incumbent upon that person who's receiving these requests to you know moderate themselves and to make either make it easier to ask is what i say or or make it so that she doesn't have to ask those are, those i think are the two paths for uh you know a responsible manager who wants to really be fair about this you you either really become self aware about you know what what assumptions you're you're imposing on her requests or you offer before she has to ask those are kind of both and both of those are great i'm thrilled you know whenever anybody does one or the other of those 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love this. I love this. I, and again, um, you know, if this, if this metaphor doesn't work, we'll just delete it. We'll see where this goes. Um, but I, I remember when I was, um, I was watching, uh, I was hearing some people discuss Febreze, right? The, the air freshener. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually I, I remember now it was my mom. We're watching a commercial for Febreze and uh, people were Febrezing everything. Hey, it smells bad in here. We're going to Febreze it. And now it, it, it smells good. And my mom, uh, you know, the, the Caribbean uh, mother, she's like, why can't they just clean it up? <laughs> right? Like, why, why can you not address <laughs> the origin Correct. of the problem instead of pretending like there's no problem? Let's just spray Febreze and make everybody think that things smell nice. Like there's not a mess over there in the corner. And in this situation, there's a mess, right? <laughs> and there, right. there's people who are positioned to clean up the mess. But all of the advice is saying, hey, by the way, here, here's another bottle of Febreze uh, yeah. to try to make the situation better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. It's and and why not? Yeah, why why not? You know, eliminate the problem, or why not? You know, act in a way that you don't create it in the first place. Exactly. Oh, this is fantastic. This is really great. And so, before we go, when what other rules? Because we have nine rules. We talked about one, which was don't make her ask twice. When you think about when it comes to self advocacy for women in the workplace and uh, the changes that need to be made, what is another rule that comes to mind? Well, another another rule in in my book that I think really fits here is don't ask what does your husband do, um, and that that rule is about you know there there are again assumptions that that people impose upon women when when they get engaged when they get married about you know what they what they need. So do you know, oh, she, she doesn't need the money. Her husband has, you know, has a well-paying job or she doesn't need to work anymore. These are, these are assumptions that are imposed that then get, you know, factored into negotiations for women, again, based on assumptions rather than reality. I mean, it was pretty amazing when I was doing, doing interviews for this section of the book. I mean, women would tell me that from the minute that they walked into an office with, with an engagement ring on their finger, people would change their, their questions, their attitudes, their assumptions about, you know, how, how ambitious this woman was or what kind of work she wanted to take on. Um, bonuses would, would change. Uh, I had one woman tell me that she, she actually is, is still hiding the fact that she's gotten engaged because, um, she thinks that she gets paid better bonuses when people think that she's, you know, providing for herself instead of, you know, part of a, a couple that, that, you know, has access to each other's income. So there's a lot of dynamics around, around that topic of, and, you know, and this, that's one very specific example of, you know, assuming that a woman is married, has a husband, it really applies to, you know, whatever her family situation is and whatever life partner she has, just, you know, don't assume that because she's, you know, choosing, choosing, making life decisions or having milestones in her life, like engagement, marriage, children, and so on, that, you know, any of that speaks to her ambition for herself and her work. This is great. Yeah, I, I'm excited about this. I am really, really happy that you provided and created such a, a great resource uh, for leaders and managers out there. And so again, before you go, let the listeners know about the book, where they can get it, and again, where they can get in contact with you. 
So the book is called The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work, and it's available for sale at all major booksellers. And uh, please, please pick up a copy wherever you like. And you can also learn more about me and about the book at kateeberlywalker.com and, and send a message to me there if you want to talk about anything. Fantastic. Kate, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.